Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise, and you are worthy of our reverent attention in this hour. And so, Lord Jesus, as we open your word, we ask that in your mighty worthiness and glory, you would make it a word of power and a word of peace. We ask, Lord, that your word would be a word of power to convict and convert those who do not yet belong to you. And we pray that your word would be a word of power and peace to conform those who are yours evermore unto your likeness, that we might be changed by your glory. This we ask, Lord Jesus, for your glory and honor. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 19. <coughs> I wish that it was surprising and rare news, but it isn't the news that there was another shooting in our city this week. This one happened in Graceland Cemetery, which is a spot that's in my neighborhood and a spot that I walk through or jog through two, three, four times a week at least. And as that shooting happened and, you know, we prayed for the victims, uh, the next couple of days as I walk through my neighborhood, I just try to talk to people about it because there's a lot that I don't know, but I know that Jesus has taught me this. Everybody hurts. Everybody's afraid. And everybody dies. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of how. Is it going to be a disease or a bullet or what? And the fact that everybody hurts and everybody's afraid and everybody dies, uh, this, this, this is why Jesus giving us the Great Commission, is, it works because Jesus came to take away our fear of sin and death and to give us confidence that no matter what happens, we have life in him. And so I just try to talk to people and the first person that I talked to was an absolute no sale. She, I talked to her about the shooting and death and I asked her if church and does she know what's going to happen after we die and she just said, that's weird, I don't want to talk about that. And I said, okay, you know, I'm, I may see her again and God may open up a door, but I didn't become obnoxious about it. Another person that I talked to though was very curious this person wanted to talk about church and they had come from a church background. It was my church different than the church that they came from. And this is, there are so many opportunities to speak the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And church, this is why we're here. So that we will know Jesus and so that we will make Jesus known. So that we ourselves will be disciples of Jesus Christ, ever conformed to his beautiful image. And so that as that happens, we will help others become conformed to Jesus Christ by sharing the gospel with them, by bringing them into the fellowship of the redeemed that belongs to the church. So what does this have to do, our great mission, what does this have to do with Isaiah chapter 19? Isaiah chapter 19 is an ancient oracle against Egypt. I didn't check, but I'm willing to bet you, if a 
if a bet wouldn't offend you, I would bet you 100 to 1 that the, the oracle against Egypt is not included in this little children's Bible that we're, or this big children's Bible we're giving out that's got 140 stories. I'm sure the exodus from Egypt's in there. Maybe the Passover's in there. But Isaiah 19, not, it's, it's just, it's an obscure chapter that almost never gets preached from because the message has some ancient historical details about Egypt and Judah and Israel. But the abiding message of this text is so strong and so needed because this text and other texts like it explain the things in society that we are afraid of and that we are angry about and that threaten to kill us, whether it's a physical shooting, whether it's violent bloodshed, whether it's an economic downturn, which is talked about in this chapter, whether it's cultural and political forces of wickedness, June is Pride Month, whether it's experts in society that are loudly proclaiming that evil is good and that good is evil. These are all touched upon in Isaiah 19, the oracle against Egypt, and they are all traced back to the same root. And the surprising thing to me about this text, and you'll see it in the last three verses when we get to them in the end, is that one of the points that God is making is things are so bad, things are so bad, things are so bad. And one of the points that God is making is in all of this evil and wickedness and judgment, this is the point he's making. There is no one, not one, who is outside of the reach of God's saving grace. Not a single Egyptian, not a single American is outside of the reach of his grace. And he takes a great measure to say that in, in Isaiah chapter 19. When we read this oracle against Egypt, what people are mentioned the most in the Old Testament? It's not a trick question. The country or the tribe or the people that are mentioned the most in the Old Testament is Israel. God calls Israel my people. When God comes up against Pharaoh, that great Egyptian, God says to Pharaoh, hey, you better let my people go. So God calls Israel his people. But I don't know if it's second place, but it's second or third or fourth is as far as number of mentions in the Old Testament would be Egypt. Mentioned all over the place. This is one of those places where if you know the story of the Old Testament, it'll help you understand what we're reading. Like, it, like to use a Bible analogy, when you hear a symphony, if you really know music and you, you know, the, you, you know the, what the melody is doing, then it helps you to enjoy the symphony. Or if you uh, watched season one on Netflix and the character developments and the dialogues. Then when you watch season two, it really hits you in the heart because you know what's going on. If you know the Old Testament story, this text about Egypt will really hit you in the heart. Isaiah is here talking about how God is going to make everything right in the end. The chapter is about how everything is wrong and evil is called good and good is called evil and there's moral confusion and violence everywhere, but that God is going to make it all right in the end. And to prove that he's going to make it all right in the end, to prove that the peace of Jesus Christ 
And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We get that from Isaiah to prove that Jesus can convert and make peace with the vilest of sinners. He chooses Egypt as the example. Even if you don't know the whole story of the Old Testament, just know this for shorthand. Egypt was the original enslaver. Egypt was the original enslaver of God's precious people. And God's making the point that if he can judge and even convert Egypt, there's nobody outside of the reach of his grace. It's kind of like which sometimes happens in sports. The team that your, your, the team, that your team is playing in the, uh, in the division championship is actually a better team than your team would end up playing in the national championship. And so you're like, well, we know if we can beat these people for the division title, it's not going to be any problem to beat these other people for the league title. And Egypt is the best team they're up against. And that's why I think God chooses Egypt here to say the things that he wants to say to us. And he's not just going to beat them, but he's going to convert them. So we'll look at this text together, beginning in verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight against each other. And each will fight against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts." If we could summarize those opening four verses, next to verse one, you could summarize that with the, with the word fear. You see, the idols will tremble and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. So verse one is fear. You could summarize verse two with the word factions factions or divisions. You see, he's stirring them up, verse two, against each other. Each one is fighting the other one. And verse 3, you could summarize with the word uh, manipulated or duped or uh, so desperate that they'll believe anything because verse 3 says their spirit's emptied out and so all their counsel is confounded and then they look to these crazy people for wise counsel. So we go from fear to factions to this desperate and duped and so easily manipulated so that ultimately verse 4, they are controlled. They are controlled. They're given over to a hard taskmaster. You see the spiral in those verses from fear to factions and disunity to, to desperately reaching for stuff and easily being deceived. This came true, so to speak, in the seventh century when the Assyrians conquered the Egyptians. But the reason I'm pointing out that cycle and that spiral is because what happened happens. And by my lights, I think this is happening in the USA right now. Fear, factions, a sort of desperation that makes people easily manipulated, and then they come under the control of those who will do them harm ultimately. 
It's a sharp and stinging uh, quotation. I'm not sure what it dates back to. I think maybe it dates back to Voltaire, but both George Orwell and Aldous Huxley used it in their writings. And the little barb is this. Anyone who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Anyone who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Fear, factions, desperation, where you're easily duped by absurdities, and then you end up controlled and committing yourself abominable atrocities. What happened happens. We ended in verse 4, pick it up in verse 5. This describes the economic downturn. The waters of the sea are dried up, the river is dry and parched, its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. Gas will be over $6 a gallon. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> there will be bare places by the Nile on the brink of the Nile, and all that is sown by the Nile will be parched. It will be driven away. It will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament. All who cast a hook in the Nile, they will languish. Who spread nets on the water? The workers in combed facts will be in despair. The weavers of white cotton, those who are the pillars of the land will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be grieved. This is talking about Egypt's economy, which was dependent upon the Nile, their, their, tack, uh, their, their industry of making white linen, and all of that is completely downturned. Nobody's got any money anymore. The cost of goods is so high. And continuing in verses 11 through 15, this is where the wise experts come in. I don't, I don't know what you believe about experts. I'm not sure what I believe about experts, but the more years that tick by, the more I actually believe that uh, if you could give me 12 experts who are on the news or you could give me 12 random people who were in line at Quick Trip, I am way better off with my Quick Trip people. <laughs> Listen to what this says about experts. <laughs> Verse 11. The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. How can you say to Pharaoh, I'm a son of the wise and a son of ancient kings? When the, where are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools and the princes of Memphis are deluded. And those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt statter. The, the Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion and they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds. As a drunken man staggers in his vomit, and there'll be nothing for Egypt, the head or tail, palm branch or reed that they may do. Whatever counsel these foolish experts give, it ends up making those who follow their counsel stumble like a vomiting drunken person. The experts are the ones who seek to make society believe absurdities because they've rejected God's wisdom and it's all so empty and useless. Let Isaiah be the voice of sanity for us and let, let Isaiah call you away from believing absurdities and from committing atrocities, from calling good evil and evil good and let Isaiah show us what's right and what's wise and what's true. 
And in contrast to the, the experts of Egypt, I want to take a moment this morning, church, and talk to you about this binary, this antithesis, this contrast between worldly experts and God's wisdom. I think we, we need to get back to the antithesis. When the Apostle John says, little children, I want to teach you, the first thing he says is, there is darkness and there is light. We need to get back to this simple binary. There is worldly wisdom. There is God's truth. There is human subjective opinion. And there is divine revelation. So let Isaiah remind us this morning, and I want to take just a moment to lay out for you, give you three categories or three words. The, the, the point here is God, I'm like, I'm like the Apostle John, little children, it's this simple. God made the world. God spoke truth about how things operate in the world. And then God's people receive that truth and apply it day by day, year by year in that world. The way to live rightly in the world is to know that God made the world, God spoke the truth about the world, and my job is to listen to what God has said. God made the world, God spoke the truth about the world, and now we live in that world rightly when we listen to and apply what God has said. That's the point. The three words for you would be creation, scripture, culture. Or we could say it in, with a, a different set of three words. We could say uh, nature, or the first word would be general revelation, to use the doctrinal term. The second word would be the Bible, or special revelation, to use the doctrinal term. And then the third word is uh, application, how we live, how we work it out. Creation, scripture, culture. Nature, Bible, application. That's, the, that's, that's all I'm saying. It's, it's that simple. God made the world. That's reality. God made the world and it's his. And as has been said to us many times and we forget it every other Tuesday, you are entitled to your own opinion. You are not entitled to your own reality. And God made the world. That's reality. So whatever God says about the world that he has made is the truth about the world that he's made. And since God made the world, his commands about the world make the most sense in the world. It is not the church that believes absurdities. Oh, Corinthians tells us that the world will say what we believe is foolishness, but that is because the world sees things upside down and we see things right side up. God made the world, and what God has told us about the world is common sense, so to speak, from God. God's special revelation fits the way that we should live in the world that God has made. And then our job is to wisely apply his truth in our own personal lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods. The problem with experts, like Pharaoh's experts here, the problem with experts is this. Experts spend all of their time talking about that third category, culture, application, how we should live. And the experts who get all the airtime talking about that third category believe the exact absurdities about the first category and the second category. 
They reject that God made the world, and they reject what the Scripture says. And so no wonder their counsel in the third category can rightly be compared to a drunkard spiraling around in his or her own vomit. And so as God judges the experts of Egypt, we hasten on toward the conclusion of our chapter. Pick up in uh, verse 16, and we'll go down through verse 21. It says, in that day, uh, five times, verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, verse 23, verse 24, there's a switch from poetry to prose, and there's a switch from all judgment to judgment mixed with salvation. Listen for it. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. And one will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. They will make vows to the Lord and they will perform them. You see the transition in verse 16, it's, it's so subtle, but in verse 16, he says, the Egyptians are going to quake and be afraid. And when you read that, you think, well, that's more of his judgment. Well, maybe it is. But as you go on, you see that fear is actually the Egyptians begin to respond to reality. Whoa, this is the world that God has made. And what God has said about the world is reality. And in the end, from the heart, they themselves begin to worship the Lord. It actually says in verse 21, uh, no, I'm sorry, in verse 20, it actually, in the Hebrew in verse 20, you pick that up. It, like, like I said, if you watch season one, you really get the lines of dialogue in season two. If you know the story of the Exodus, what you read in verse 20 is all the terminology that described what God did for Israel. This is what he does for Egypt. This is what he does for Egypt. Sounds so much like the new covenant promises are being applied to these uh, ethnic Egyptians. The Lord makes himself known to them. And then we'll read from verse 22 down to the end. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Same thing as in verse 16, where he says, they're going to be afraid. We're like, is that more judgment? Well, look at verse 22, it says, he's going to strike them, but the striking leads to healing. And they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there'll be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third 
with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. In verse 24, he says, God's going to have three. God's people, Israel, will be one-third, and the other two will be the arch foes. And this is going to happen when the Lord Jesus comes back. I love verse 22. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord. Church, do you know this verse? Those whom the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. Do you know this, church? If the Lord is striking you, it is because of the ferocity of his love for you. A wise old pastor ever tell you this? The only thing worse than getting caught committing your sin is committing your sin and getting away with it. You, you in secret sin, you afraid that you're going to be found out. The only thing worse than being found out in your sin is being given over to it where nobody finds out and you die in hell. If you are without discipline, then you are an illegitimate child. Everybody who first heard this prophecy would say, Israel's God's children. Egypt ain't God's child. And God says, I'm going to make Egypt. I'm going to make Egypt my child. I was immensely comforted uh, to the point of getting a little teary recently when I heard a wise old pastor say, even the devil himself won't count a soul completely and totally lost so long as that soul has a godly mother praying for him or her. Nobody beyond God's reach. Nobody's beyond God's reach. Verse 22 says, the Lord loves those he disciplines and he disciplines Egypt to prove his love for them. And then it says they'll be God's people. This is the fulfillment of Genesis 12, 3. When God calls Abram to say, Israel is my people in the very call of Abram, when he names him Abraham, he says, the reason I'm calling you is so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the fulfillment of Revelation 7, that when we get there, every tribe, every tongue, every people group will be represented singing the praises of the Lamb. Most astonishing of all is probably verse 25. To those who know the Hebrew scripture, it's probably the most astonishing verse of all. Whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands. And you can almost miss it because it's just that two-letter possessive pronoun, my people. Because those who know the Old Testament, we realize, and Isaiah uses this over and over and over in uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 24. I'm just reading this verse because it's not a remarkable verse. 
Isaiah 10, verse 24, Isaiah says this dozens of times. Isaiah says, for instance, in Isaiah 10, 24, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike against you. This is how God speaks hundreds of times in the Old Testament. My people, don't be afraid of the Assyrians. Hey, my people, don't be afraid of the Egyptians because he's speaking to Israel. The only people that are called my people by God is the people of Israel. If a husband calls his wife honey or a husband calls his wife my love and then he started to call another woman honey or my love, we would have a problem with that. Here God calls Egypt my love. Yahweh God who pledged his covenant love to Israel now calls Egypt my honey, my beloved, my, my very own, the one who belongs to my heart. The most famous line of the Exodus narrative, it wasn't written by Yule Brenner, but it was perfected by him, is let my people go. God says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And here, God says to Pharaoh, hey, you are my people. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that breaks beyond all of our so-called categories and lines. This is the place for you to repent of thinking anybody is beyond reach. And to speak a word in season, this is certainly the place, one of many places to repent of racism or classism, or whatever it is that, that makes you feel like my kind of people are better than that kind of people. This is the place to repent of that. You can't close your heart to anybody. So the admonition here, to keep it simple, the, the admonition, I'd say the first admonition is simply the word repent. If you've closed your heart to any people group, repent, repent of that because that's an ungodly heart. This is the heart of God. I think I already said that, you know, June is pride month and I'm, I am, uh, I'm convinced that promoting sexual perversion is, has horrible consequences for our societal good and so I'm against it. But at the same time, I hope that sincerely I would be the first one to tell you that homosexual persons, are, they're not my enemy and they're not your enemy. They have been enslaved by the enemy and we are here to set them free with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To say there's a God and he made the world and he's given us revelation and light so we could see the way that we ought to be in this world and to help them come to know that and embrace it and to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Repent. Repent if you have seen any type of sinner or uh, any political party, <laughs> like as they're, they're beyond God's reach or they're my opposition. You know what? Just tell yourself every day I repent of that because they are my mission. They're my mission. 
What they are espousing opposes what I believe is good for the world, so I don't agree with what they're espousing, and you can vote against it, that's fine. But those persons, they're not your opposition, they're your mission. Repent of a closed heart. And the second word, which is maybe a little bit easier to embrace, is just missions. We are a church that is committed to missions. I don't have the date in front of me, but uh, I, I have it in my office. The, the first date that Racine Bible Church sent money to support global missions. And it's well over 80 years ago. We are invested in global missions. We give an update once a month from up here about missions. I just take some time to know our missionaries and take some time to give to our missionaries. I know some people that like just to, to, to jumpstart their heart for missions, like if, if they have, and I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to judge you, if they have an $18 a week Starbucks habit, they just said, hey, for one month, I'm going to skip that, make it at home, and I'm going to give that $18 to missions. Because what, your, your, where your money goes, there your attention goes. And it's good to pay attention to what's happening in missions. So first, I'd say repent of a closed heart. Second, I'd say missions. And third, simply and clearly, open your mouth with the words of life. Open your mouth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not an anointed, gifted evangelist, but when I walk my neighborhood, I'm trying to open my mouth with the gospel and the words of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to out-argue anybody. I'm not trying to church sales anybody, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell them, because Jesus has shown me this, everybody hurts, everybody fears, and everybody dies, and Jesus heals hurts. And Jesus is the answer to the fears that paralyze you. And Jesus has conquered death. Speak the gospel of life to those around you. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, on your campus. Um, and if you really want to jumpstart that, one way that I've jumpstarted it in my own life is prayer with fasting for the purpose of evangelism. For the way that I fast, for what it's worth, is uh, I don't eat until like 6 p.m. So it's not a full 24-hour fast, but I, I skip all snacks and I skip all breakfast and I skip all lunch and I'm not going to eat till 6 or 7 p.m. And that whole day, while I'm hungry, it's just adding fuel to my prayer. And I've done that like if God has put an individual on your heart that you want to see that individual converted, pray for them with fasting. Or if you just the, the whole area of evangelism is on your heart, then just pray with fasting that God would make you aware and God would open doors and, and all the rest of it. You will be surprised how God answers those prayers when they're accompanied with fasting. Just as everybody who read the Old Testament was surprised and shocked that God called Egypt. Egypt! The original enslaver, God called Egypt, my people, because he reached them with the gospel. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we bow before you in prayer and we address you as the coming King and the Prince of Peace. And we know that in your kingdom, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and we know that in your kingdom, thieves, homosexuals, fornicators, idolaters, drunkards, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we worship you for bringing us into your kingdom, and so we beg you to so fill us with your spirit of compassion and love that we would invest ourselves in your great cause, the discipleship of men and women and boys and girls and nations for the glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, you have touched us and you have overflowed our lives with your mercy. And so give us a heart of merciful compassion to reach those around us. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.